0: Verses 13 and 14, I draw your attention again to tonight. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. I think that we must feel something of the fearful solemnity of these words of Samuel. None of us ever want to hear something like this. Thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought another man, somebody else, after his own heart. There are three things here in these words. There's a rebuke. There is an announcement of a loss. And there is an announcement of a replacement. Someone else. The rebuke, first of all, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. The law of Moses says, Leviticus 19, verse 17, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, but thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, and not suffer sin upon him. Now we all know that's not easy. It isn't easy to rebuke someone. We don't like to interfere. We don't like to embarrass people. We don't want to be seen as maybe self-righteous or arrogant. We want people to like us. Rebuking is not the best way to get people to like you. And sometimes we feel like we're just hypocrites. How can we rebuke for sin when we're just sinners ourselves? I may be needing rebuked ourselves at times. So we think, why am I to rebuke a sinner when I'm a sinner myself? And so it's not something we find easy for these reasons and perhaps for other reasons besides. I'm sure Samuel doesn't like the rebuking business. There may be some odd character who does like it. And it's just their cup of tea to be going around doing that. But I think for most of us, and I'm sure for Samuel too, it's not the business that he likes doing. But you see, Samuel has no choice about the matter. You must remember, he has not come to Saul in a private capacity. He has come to him as the man of God, with the word of God. This is God's word that he's bringing to the king. Now, Samuel is a prophet. We know that. He's a prophet after Moses. In fact, after Moses, he's one of the greatest prophets. All Israel, Samuel, the book of Samuel tells us, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. It hadn't been said of anybody like that before, after Moses. He's unique. He leads the prophets. And sometimes in the New Testament... The apostles speak of the prophets as a group. And they name Samuel first. You remember Peter? All the prophets from Samuel, he said. And those that came after have spoken of these things. And you remember in our studies in Hebrews, the great men of faith. Where does Paul bring us to? Samuel and the prophets. As if to put Samuel at the head of them. Samuel and all the prophets. Samuel then is unique. He stands out. The word of the Lord is in his mouth. You may remember that in chapter 9, Samuel said to Saul, Stand thou still a while, and I will tell thee the word of God. Well, this is a similar occasion here in chapter 13. He doesn't say those words, but he's doing the same thing. He's telling him the word of God. The Lord is with Samuel, and none of his words fall to the ground, the Bible says. And so we see that he tells the word faithfully to the king. Holds nothing back, and he delivers the whole counsel of God. And that, of course, includes the duty to rebuke the erring. Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of God. So he's a man with God's word who reproves and rebukes as well as exhorts and teaches as every Christian minister is commanded. And the Bible says that this rebuking business is to be done with all authority as if God commands it. Now, Saul is not to think, Samuel rebukes me and he's a nasty man because he does that. No, that's not how Saul is meant to think. Saul is meant to think, the man of God rebukes me and it's coming from the Lord. It's the Lord who's rebuking me. It's God's rebuke. And that makes it all the more solemn and it ought to be very touching to our hearts when God rebukes us. I'm sure that whenever you were young and your father became solemn and his countenance changed and his tone changed and he scolded you or spoke to you some stronger words than normal and you knew it was a rebuke, maybe he said, that hurt us, son, that hurt your mother, son, or something like that. You never forgot that, did you? It was a rebuke that hit home because it was your father's rebuke. And you took it. Well, that's how God rebukes us. So let us not blame the man of God if we feel convicted of our sins. If we feel a wee bit uncomfortable. Maybe it's the Lord correcting us. Now, of course, we can pray and ought to do so as the psalmist prayed in Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. But that's not a prayer against the rebuke of the word. I don't think we should pray against the rebuke of the word. That's a prayer against the rebuke of the rod. It's a prayer that the rebuke might not turn into one of fierce anger of God and some chastisement. So Lord, don't rebuke me in your fierce anger and chasten me in your hot displeasure. It's an awful thing to be rebuked by his word. But it's an even more terrible thing to be rebuked by his rod. The word comes first. So let us suffer the rebuke of the word. And then we can pray, Lord, don't rebuke me in your fierce anger and chasten me in your great displeasure. I confess my sin and I'm sorry. Forgive me. So let the rebuke of the word be enough. Let it cause us to seek mercy and forgiveness. The Bible says that the wicked perish at the rebuke of God. How could you perish at the rebuke of God? If you don't repent, if you don't say sorry, if you don't ask for forgiveness, at the rebuke of His word, will be like the wicked who will be perishing under the chastening of his rod. Now I'm just reminding you that this is not a personal whim of Samuel here. There are some people who, liberals who come to the Bible like that, you know, Samuel's out of sorts. He's feeling a wee bit cut. He's a chip on his shoulder. You know, not judge anymore. People have rejected him. They didn't accept his sons or rejected his sons as judges. They've got a completely different leader. And so they say he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. And that's why he's nasty to Saul. That's why he talks to Saul the way that he does. Now, it's very easy for a preacher to get a chip on his shoulder. And we have to always guard against that. And that these rebukes don't come because of that. But this is not definitely not the case with Samuel. He's the man with God's word. And he rebukes him with the word of God. And it's not just preachers who have to rebuke. The law of Moses says to all the people of God about your fellow man. To rebuke him and not suffer any sin upon him. And our Savior repeated that law of Moses to us. He says, take heed to yourselves. He's speaking to all the body. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. If we do see our friends and our loved ones doing something wrong or going astray, if we love them enough, we will do it. We will say something. The lesson is, let us suffer correction. Let us want to be corrected. Let us even count it a mercy that someone would even bother to do it. To be rebuked. Is oftentimes to be rescued if we take it to heart. Remember how the psalmist said, Let the righteous smite me, let him smite me. It shall be a kindness, let him reprove me or rebuke me. It shall be an excellent oil which won't break my head. So you see, there's wisdom in that. It's only a word, it's only just to improve you. And even if it's given with a spirit that's not perfect, still there might be validness in what is said. And let's just take it as something to think about as from the Lord. No matter about the trembling or the fearful, or even the wrong spirit maybe with which it's given. Let's take the words to heart and think about them. And say maybe that is the case, and I don't even see that. And sometimes I've had to do that. I'm sure you've had to do it as well. You didn't like being told that. But you know, you, t- you did think about it. And it did change your ways in some way. That's good. So, rebuking is useful. Now, of course, Samuel's not rebuking for some minor thing. We, we don't rebuke for minor things. You know, we don't pull little spacks out of people's eyes and we've got beams in our own eyes. No, some have thought Samuel is just a sore loser. As I said, he's rebuking out of a personal slate, and it's just a very minor thing, really. At the end of the day, this business—you know, Samuel not being there when the offering's made, Saul didn't wait for me at Gilgal; he didn't wait for me, and he's going off. And it's just a minor thing. It's not a minor thing. I repeat, this is not personal. This is God's word, God's rebuke. It's not a late matter. Verse 13, Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord. That's serious. And what is more, He's the Lord your God. Thy God. Thy God who made you king. Thy God who gave you all that you have. Thy God who put you in this position. Thy God who gave you these gifts. Thy God who made you the deliverer of Jabesh Gilead that God saw whose commandment you've not obeyed. So it's serious. It's ingratitude, it's disobedience, it's an unkindness. The God who chose you, the God who made you to be among his people and has caused you to be the king of his people, you just blatantly disobeyed him. So it's not a minor thing Let's get that out of our head. That was done foolishly, and it's not a minor thing. I'm sure there are a lot of minor things that we all do. And we're hardly going to get a prophet come to rebuke us about it. But whenever we blatantly and wickedly disobey God's word, we can expect a rebuke. And that it is truly God's word is seen in the revelation that goes with it. Because Samuel doesn't just say, you've not, not kept the commandment of the Lord. He gives him a prophecy. He, he foretells. Now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. It's all prophesying. The rebuke, as well as what he goes on to tell him, it's all prophesying, because prophesying isn't only foretelling, telling the future. Prophesying that is speaking in the spirit, is also forth telling, telling the commandment, telling the rebuke, just telling it forthrightly what God wants or what God says. And some aspects of it is about the future and that aspect we call foretelling. And he goes to the foretelling now. So the prophets, they spoke in God's name and they did both. They were forth tellers and they were foretellers. They told the duty to the people of God and they told them of the consequences of not obeying that. And Samuel is doing all of this now. There is the telling in the rebuke, but he doesn't stop there. As I said, he goes on now to do these two other things. And this shows, this is not a whim of Samuel. If was just a whim of Samuel, he just stopped at the rebuke. But, the Spirit of the Lord is guiding him. Letting him see things. What may have been. What now will be. Spirit of the Lord is letting him see that. And he's telling him. That might have been down that way. Saul. But instead. It's going to be down that way now. Saul. Only a man. Anointed with the inspiration of the Spirit. Can do that. This is the word of God. He's speaking to Saul. And he's telling the future. And he first of all announces the loss. Now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. That's a loss. What might have been. Brethren and sisters, this is a solemn word. What might have been if we had kept the commandments of God better? What might have been if we had been obedient? What might have been if we had been saved earlier? What might have been if we had come to Christ earlier? What might have been if we had not sinned that sin and broken that commandment and gone down that wrong path? This is humbling, of course, isn't it? What might have been. Your kingdom would have been established to the age of Saul. But not now. That's it. No more. That's humbling. This is not something we, can, we ought to get depressed about and get down about what might have been. There are no doubt our many might have beings, But we can't cry over spilt milk. That's it. Nothing can be done. It is the fruit of our folly, and of course we don't, as it were, think about what might have been. We just, you know, that's just a waste. We can't therefore think upon it and dwell upon it. But it needs to be known that sin and disobedience does lead to loss. It does. We have to know that much. We can't measure the loss, comprehend it, but there is some truth in it. Our ability to bring him glory and our usefulness in life might have been multiplied if we hadn't went astray in that way or been saved earlier. And so it's very important to know this, especially young people to know this that it's important you obey God. Because you live to be the most useful for God, the more you obey him. And the more you disobey him, the more you'll close up the doors and the avenues, and the more you lose the ability and opportunity to bring him glory. So it's good to obey God, always. Young people need to know that. It's a bit late with a whole lot of us, isn't it, really? So as I say, we can't cry over spilt milk. The Lord forgives us. The Lord pardons us. And the Lord still is pleased to in some way use us. And for that we must thank him. Truly. But what might have been if we had been better and obedient? This is humbling, isn't it? I think it is. This makes us want to pray, God, just be merciful to me. It ought to make us cry and say with David, Make me to hear joy and gladness, Lord. The bones which you've broken, that they may rejoice again. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from thy presence. Don't take away thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit and then perhaps I will be able to teach transgressors your way and some may be converted unto you. So the Lord still forgives us and still uses us. But we must never forget by disobedience we become losers in some way. Saul is actually told what might have been then. Your kingdom would have been upon Israel forever. The Lord would have done it. The Lord would have established it himself. You would have been his man, Saul. You would have been the one to bring him such glory, Saul. How useful you would have been. What I would have made of your kingdom. Now, how does the what might have been in the responsibility of man... Fit in with the sovereign and one eternal plan of God? I don't know. I can't give you an answer for that. I can't explain it, what might have been and what is, I don't understand it, but here it is. What might have been? What now is. How would that fit in with the prophecy of my Messiah coming from Judah? If Saul's kingdom continued forever, how could it be that Christ would become the son of David? So there are deep questions here. And I could go down a whole lot of rabbit holes here, which I don't want to do. The responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God, these are deep things. And we could just leave ourselves down the rabbit holes in the dark. And that wouldn't profit us any. But I think forever here does not mean on to the end, on to Christ. Okay. There are times in the Bible when forever means uh, as long as you obey or for a long time. David is the one on to the end, on to Christ. That's, that's always eternally planned. Messiah had to come out of Judah. But Saul's kingdom might have been longer than it was. I mean, Jonathan didn't even get on the throne. It might have been longer than God went on to Jonathan. And then there might have been some arrangement whereby David was introduced and was passed on to David in some way or other in the providence of God so that it did continue down that line. God is able to do it. Saul could have with friendliness and kindness and willingness or Jonathan his son or even another descendant it could have passed on the kingdom to David in a way that was honourable and glorifying to God. Now this is only speculative talk but There was a might have been for Saul. The Holy Spirit says it. But you see, clearly, Saul is the loser. And his loss is his own fault. Yes, God is sovereign. His eternal will is done. But Saul is a fool and threw it all away. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility, all true, both true. Brethren and sisters, one thing is clear. We are to live our lives not by the hidden, secret, eternal decrees of God which we know nothing about. We are to live our lives by the commandments of God. That's what we're to live our lives by. Not what we think the sovereign, mysterious plan of God is, but what God tells us to do his revealed word, his spoken word. We believe in God's eternal decree. We're Calvinists, but we must live by doing what he says. Trust and obey. And so we need to remember that we will be losers by our own disobedience. And let's not blame the sovereignty of God for things, though we know that he is sovereign even over our wills. But we are responsible. And when we are chastened, we know that it is our fault. And then lastly, this replacement is announced. And what is more, not only have you lost out, but Saul, God's going to replace you. Now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord have sought him a man. Here's someone else. After his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded. See how again he emphasizes it. This is because you haven't kept the commandments, Saul. The Lord has got another man. At this time. Now this is very humbling to Saul. And he never really got over it. And it begins to bite away at him more and more. As, as the years pass. As we might see. The Lord's going to get someone better in your place, Saul. That's humbling. The Lord's looking somewhere else, Saul. You had your chance. He's seeking in another place. You know, we must never presume on God. And we must never think that we cannot be replaced. We're not irreplaceable. If we sin wickedly and don't repent and humble ourselves, we... May be replaced. You remember how God came to Moses. Israel was sitting in the wilderness. And the Lord was weary with them. What did the Lord say to Moses? Leave me alone Moses. That my wrath may wax hot against them. And I'll consume them. And I'll make of you a great nation. I'll replace Israel with you Moses with you. Oh, that was some offer. But the Lord knew Moses' heart. The Lord knew what Moses would do. Oh, no. He was such a good man, Moses, you know.
1: Israel thought
0: that they were irreplaceable. They still think it. They do. We are the descendants of Abraham. We are the boys. Nothing can replace us. There are even theologians who teach it. Israel can't be replaced. They're always the people of God. Oh, really? Well, Paul says they've been cut off. They've been cut off. Now, they'll be grafted back in again in another time. And some are grafted back in again individually. But they have been cut off. And the Gentiles have been grafted in, the Gentiles have replaced them. Grafted in. Has they been cut off? As the Lord said. Oh, we're we're the children of Abraham, they all said all the time. And the Lord said, Don't be thinking that within yourselves. We have Abraham for our father. I say unto you God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, what DNA is there between stones and Abraham? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. And those stones are us Gentiles. Absolutely no DNA to Abraham. But God has raised us up, the children of Abraham, because of faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. I'm not making this up. You remember how the Lord spake a parable unto them. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came and saw fruit thereon, found none. He said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree. I don't find any. Cut it down. It's just cumbering the ground. The Lord Jesus said on another occasion, The axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down cast into the fire. May it not be true that to some extent the Free Presbyterian Church was a replacement of ecumenical liberal churches? There have been churches in this, this island, in fact, for generations where just new boys come along. But might it not be that the Lord has sought us out instead of the liberal denominations? That he's raised us up To be faithful in a decadent age where there is so much disbelief of the Bible amongst Christian circles. We sometimes think that. And if that is the case, well, we we can disobey too, you know. And we can be replaced as well. It's, It's true. But I'm not speaking tonight. I'm no prophet about denominations and all of this business. But of ourselves as a congregation or as individual believers, we can be replaced if we're not obeying God, if we're not faithful. You won't pray for the work, you won't pray for God, you won't pray for the glory of Christ. Okay, I will get someone else to do, the Lord might say. You won't go to the prayer meetings, you won't go to the services, you won't go to church. Okay, I'll get get someone else to go. I'll get someone else in your place. They can be replaced. You won't support the work, you won't get your weight in behind the people of God. No worry, the Lord says, I'll get someone else. I'll seek me a man after my own heart. I'll replace you, so your kingdom won't continue. Um, I'll replace you. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. These are not necessarily not real believers. They haven't borne the fruit, and they've just they're they're taken away their usefulness in the service. They're not going to bear fruit anymore. You know, that's all a, a vine branch is good for, for bearing fruit. And if it's not bearing fruit, well, you have to take it away and encourage other ones that are going to bear fruit and make room for them. It's cumbering the ground. It's holding back other things and greater things. And so the Lord can Take us away and replace us with better. Saul in the Old Testament, Saul in the New Testament, wasn't he some replacement for Saul in the Old Testament? Paul, Paul the Apostle, I'll get someone better. I tell you, the Lord never got a better one than that Saul, Saul of Tarsus. A man after my own heart. The Lord's thinking of David, but he's seen beyond David the one truly after his heart, the Son of David. So you see, it is a solemn text, isn't it, congregation? I think so. The rebuke, the announcement of our loss if we disobey God and the possibility of our replacement if we continue to do so. Now, it doesn't happen straight away, this to Saul, you know. This is just the word of God. He can repent and change. Like Nineveh did. Forty days, you're going to be destroyed. Nineveh repented. wasn't destroyed. The word of God was effective. It it worked. Saul is getting a, a wee bit of grace here in the word. He still goes on in the kingdom, but as we'll see, he... Does the same thing again. Does the basic commandment of God. He keeps on doing it. Keeps on doing it. May these words prod us then in, into serving God acceptably with godly fear. And may we know the importance of keeping the commandment of God